Well, welcome to the podcast, Rochelle. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so good to have you. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge I'm producing this podcast on the lands of the Kalam and Comox, Clayhus, and Homoko First Nations. Grateful to be here. So yeah, tell me about yourself. Where are you from? What's your origin yes. story? Um, I'm located in Treaty 6 in Edmonton. Um, born in Fort Murray, but Edmonton's been home since like 2006. Hmm. Um, where... I wear a few different hats. Um, so I'm a I'm a third year social work student taking my Bachelor of Indigenous Social Work. Um, I just did my diploma the last two years. I have an educational background in correctional services. Um, so for most of my life, I wanted to pursue policing or law enforcement. Hmm. Um, when I took corrections, I started learning about um, uh, restorative justice, and that really got my my interest peaking in in like kind of the, the, the social sector, um, just really helping people in a rehabilitative way. Um, I had my child in 2018 and then I, you know, I, I wasn't working for a little while. Then COVID happened. So I stayed home longer. And then when I went back into the field, I decided to move away from the security sector and law enforcement, um, decided that wasn't my, that wasn't my calling. So then I started pursuing an indigenous focused social work, um, it's really where my journey to like reclaiming my culture began. Mm. Um, so grew up very culturally disconnected. So now, so I started working in the shelter system. I was working at two, I've worked at two emergency shelters. Um, one was a bridge to housing. And then one was also, um, the, the second shelter I worked at was a bigger capacity. So we had like a capacity of 200, sometimes 250 during cold weather snaps. Mm. Um, but we also had an on-site overdose prevention site. So we were more harm reduction based. Um, and that's kind of what got my interest in, in, in really pursuing um, like a career or my path in, in, in harm reduction. Um, so when all those shelters closed at the same time, because most of the shelters were COVID response. So there's more funding for shelters. Mm. Um, they all closed at the same time. So that's a lot of people looking for jobs in that field. Um, yeah. Didn't end up finding one right away. So I just ended up taking the EI and using it to my advantage by being able to just do a volunteer outreach, uh, like street outreach role. Mm. And so I did that for about, well, I've been doing it since I think April, 2022. And just recently um, in July, um, a friend of mine who worked at the comp at the shelter with me, we both um, co-founded an indigenous uh, outreach group in Edmonton. Mm. So we're called Wow Outreach Collective. Um, we do we do like street outreach, training, advocacy, um, and we're really promoting the indigenous harm reduction and and really trying to work on, you know, the process of decolonization. So we're not an only indigenous group. We have a lot of allies and people who are also engaged in the process of decolonizing and mm. amplifying indigenous voices and issues and concerns. Um, yeah. And then I'm also vice president for a new association in Alberta, the um, it was social workers association of Alberta. Mm. Um, I think that's it. I work in support of housing. I work in um, with, with Boyle street in Edmonton. Um, I don't know if I'm missing anything. I think that's it. And I'm a mom. Mm. That's a lot for sure. Yes. Um, okay, let's um, let's go. Let's, uh, let's start by just uh, learning a little bit about um, um, 
kind of you and your 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 journey around of kind of cultural reclamation, and then we'll kind of get into kind of your schooling and your work and stuff. So, um, you said you kind of grew up kind of not connected so much to the culture. Why was that? Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So I, my mom was sixteen when she had me. Um, mm. We grew up in Fort McMurray, and and you know back then things weren't the greatest. Like they're still not perfect, but I mean they're a lot worse back then, especially from mm. what I've heard. Mm. Um, but no. So I grew up pretty pretty disconnected from my culture. My mom, you know, did what she had to do to raise my brothers and I in a way that um, she wanted to start breaking the cycle. And, and the cycle is not something I understood for a long time. It was mm. until my mid-adulthood that I started learning about like colonialism and residential schools. Um, so for most of my life, you know, I was going to um, like religious schools and predominantly white schools where I was always like the, the only indigenous person there. Mm. Um, and so from a young age, I've really, I, I caught on from a really young age, like the, the microaggressions and the racism mm. and discrimination because I was indigenous, but I never knew like I never knew these terms until later right. on and I never yeah. knew why. And I always wondered why am I treated differently and why am mm. I, why do I stand out so poorly? Um, when I was younger, I, I used to see my friends and even if they were different ethnicities um, from other places in the world, I always, I could still see that I was treated even more poorly. Like it was, it, mm. it was almost like it was more socially acceptable to be from somewhere else in the world than it was to be native to wow. Yeah. to Canada wow. um and I knew that from a young age I just didn't know why but that really like influenced me to try to fit in because I stood out so so poorly and I was very like shy very soft-spoken kid like very mm. anxious um and we moved a lot back and forth from Edmonton and Fort Murray I was often the new kid I was in grade one when my grade one teacher called like would point me out to the class saying this is the native girl oh, and gosh. so it was just like it was just, yeah, so I, I hate, and I really hated that, like, attention that way, mm -hmm. especially because all I learned about Native people was that, you know, the stereotypes, um, to be careful or I'm going to grow up to, and, and follow those paths. And mm. so I wanted to really try to to avoid that. Um, and I saw my mom doing all this work to break the cycle and sacrificing certain things. But I so in doing that, I never really had opportunities to engage in the culture and not in a positive way. Like, especially back then, there wasn't a whole lot. You had to really look for it. Um, but my mom was so busy, you know, working jobs and working in the social sector. Um, and then my younger brothers and just our trauma, right? Like we, we've had family trauma and it made it difficult. Um, so in my eyes, like the only way I could really help break the cycle more is avoid the culture because it was such a bad thing. Mm. Or it seemed that way anyways. Yeah. I never really yeah. had the chance to school to learn about like the beauty and the worldviews of Indigenous people, mm. um, not until I was older and started going to school um, and learning from Indigenous teachers. Mm. So that's a little bit, um, long story short, <laughs> and it wasn't really until I had my my child that I realized, you know, I really got to shed this shame because when I started learning about like the beauty and the worldviews and the good, um, the stereotypes were just like, the stereotypes are there, but there was way more to it. Um, and, you know, reclaiming the culture was a way to break those stereotypes and to break the cycle. Mm. Um, so I had my child and I realized, you know, I don't want my child to grow up with shame for the indigenous side of, of her. And 
so that we've been kind of just learning our culture together, mm. um, engaging in anything we can and taking opportunities. Um, she's gone to like indigenous schools now and that's really helped and it's been very healing, but yeah. So what do you, what do you mean by breaking the cycle? Um, so intergenerational trauma, which like is a term that a lot of people are, are catching on to nowadays. Yeah. And, um, you know, when there's, when there's so much trauma from the roots of colonialism, cause we have to look at like the residential school system. Um, we have to look at, you know, assimilation and assimilative policies and oppression mm. and how like it's, it's still here in society today. Yeah. Um, we don't call it colonialism anymore. We call it neo-colonialism and, but these are the things that perpetuated all these cycles of like abuse, addiction, um, you know, dysfunctional, broken families. Like my family growing up, very, I've always considered it kind of like a broken family system. Yeah. Definitely not a nuclear family system. Like we're all very disconnected in a lot of ways. Mm. But there's always, I always had questions growing up, like why aren't we closer? Um, but I never realized there's so much pain and all this pain was passed down generation to generation because of these right. policies. Sure. Um, yeah. So my mom, like my mom had more experiences with like physical abuse and more trauma that I didn't have to experience. A lot of mine is more like emotional and cultural disconnection, like identity crisis and, um, mm. and like that. So, I mean, my mom broke, like started breaking the cycle in a way that my brothers and I didn't have to experience this pain in our family mm. and like abuse, abusive past, um, like in that same way, but you know, it, it takes like, I think, it, so there's a seven generations teachings right. and it says that, you know, for seven generations with colonization, that's seven generations of um, many families with indigenous ancestry who are impacted and pass that trauma down. And in order to get past it, it's going to take seven generations of consistent healing and, and reclaiming and um, overcoming to break those cycles. So, I mean, you know, I, I speak about the trauma of my family, but not in a way to condemn my mom or anything that's, that mm -hmm. has been passed down. Right. Like I've realized that you can simultaneously address the trauma in your family while also, um, being understanding of what, what they went through to, to get us to that place. Mm. Right. Um, so I speak of it and like, I understand the reasons I've had this trauma passed on to me. I understand the reasons, you know, the cycle can't break in just one generation, no matter how much someone tries and wants to. Um, there's so many different factors to it. And, you know, I always say my mom did her absolute best. And I know that like, she has a lot of guilt for the things that were passed mm. down to me and my brothers, but sometimes you just can't avoid it. Um, I'm happy to say like, I feel like my, my child will grow up in a way that because her family members like myself and my mom, and my brothers, like we're all very understanding of these systems and how it um, perpetuated our own family um, trauma. And so we can start really, you know, really breaking that, that cycle even more so that my child and by breaking cycles, I really mean like my, my child won't have to heal from her, her childhood the way I've had to. Mm. Right. Um, Cause that's the biggest thing is that, I've had to heal from my, my upbringing, my, my childhood, my experiences. And yeah. I see myself as helping break the cycle that my child won't have to, mm. um, you know, won't have that sa those same adversities that I've had. Mm -hmm. And then, and then hopefully she can pass it on to the next generation and so on. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you talked about kind of this journey of cultural reclamation uh, uh, with 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 her. So what what's that what's that look like? Um. So I put my I put her into school uh, in Indigenous Head Start. So it's like an Indigenous mm. preschool in Edmonton. Oh wow, cool. Um, there's only three in the city, as far as I know, and they always have quite a lengthy wait list. Um, they're mm. pretty underfunded. Yeah. Um, so that's unfortunate, but she, you know, the stars aligned, she was able to get in and awesome. pretty much they raised, they, they, they taught them, um, you know, with an indigenous worldview and she was, she was like f- not even five years old yet, learning how to smudge, learning Cree, learning from wow. had an elder in class. Um, and it was really cool to see just like a classroom full of little kids with all with their braids and really like learning that culture and just the beauty of the culture, you know, not having to learn the bad things that you have to like watch out for, but um, that people say you have to watch out for anyways. um, So that was really neat. And then I realized, you know, I need to start including myself in these opportunities. So we we've done things like we'll go to um, like this powwow dance drop in learning how to powwow dance and um, you know, like drumming circles. And um, the summer Leo and I went to a culture camp for for creep like i think it's for creepy people but anyone can go um mm. where we like participated together in ceremonies and um you know learning the culture from knowledge keepers and and um and elders and we got our cree names together um so it's been cool and like since covid has really died like the whole covid thing has really died down these opportunities have been popping up a lot more um but yeah we're, we're just like engaging in all these different opportunities Hmm. And tell me, tell me about the the naming. That's that's fascinating. Is, is so the, the you, you essentially were at this camp and 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 kind of I guess the elders gave you the name. So how, how did that all work? Like, yeah. So they had I saw on their like itinerary they had this naming ceremony, and that's kind of what what piqued my interest the most. Um, because I really wanted to see like pretty much with name ceremonies, you're, you're learning what your spirit name is. We mm. all have a name spiritually and mm. uh, these names are given to us before we're even born kind of thing. Yeah. And you go to the ceremony, you do protocol, you talk to an elder and they do a prayer and they, and they sit there with their eyes closed for a second. And then they, they tell you, you know, what, what came to them. Mm. Um, so I got my name, my, my child got her name. And so my, my Cree name is Pisimoyapi Ginapwit. Um, mm. and, he, and he said it translates to standing on a rainbow. Um, and pretty much the, the explanation I got was that if you have the name rainbow, um, usually it means that you, you, you've, you're someone who experiences like emotions very deeply. You, you experience, mm. um, you experience like empathy and you feel pain and you experience all these things, um, which made sense for me because I, I, do I'm a very sensitive person mm. um even growing up I was a highly sensitive child and um so like it made sense and it was very it just it, it made me feel closer to myself culturally and it made me feel mm. closer to the culture and um and then my child she got her name too and her name was um a buffalo child mm. and yeah so it's been really neat and then um to go further with it you know because I feel like I've just been really coming to myself culturally mm. um 
I grew up very whitewashed, very disconnected, sure. like I've said. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to take this a step further. And I'm, I, I started looking into um, like Cree tattoos and like mm. traditional tattoos. Yeah. And I think it's pretty uncommon for Cree people that they've had um, traditional face tattoos, um, tr- like traditionally back pre-colonization, because mm. I've told people and they're like, I've never heard of, of Cree people getting these. Mm. I was like, well, I have. <laughs> I know a few people who do. And um, so I went to someone, her name is Ashley and she's, or, they're very amazing. And like, and so Ashley's two spirit and mm. uh, does it traditionally like the stick and poke um, mm. where we do protocol, we smudge first. And it was very like a cultural approach. I didn't want to go to a tattoo artist where I have to pay um, or where it's like a tattoo machine. Yeah. So I wanted to make it as cultural and, and traditional as possible. and. Um, Really, for me, these tattoos, uh, rep- so I got seven lines, seven colors in the rainbow kind of thing, mm, you know, okay. number seven from, from, if you're the other podcast, um, yeah. yeah, seven, but, um, for me, because I grew up so ashamed of my culture, like I, I, I always tried to play off as though I was something else. Um, like as a kid and growing up, if anyone said, you know, what's your ethnicity? I would, my immediate response was always like, what do you think I am? Mm. And I would would pride myself if they would guess anything but indigenous. Like Mm. if they said, oh, are you Spanish? Are you Asian? Right. I'd be like, in my head, I was like, I wish because that's, it it seems just like much more socially acceptable. They weren't Mm -hmm. getting the same Mm -hmm. racism as I was. Not that they they don't experience racism, but it just was different. Different level, Um, yeah. yeah, so I got these tattoos and they're just there. They're out there. I can't hide, you know, I don't want to hide anymore from it. Mm. Now I have people pointing them out and they're like, are Love you indigenous? That. have these tattoos and I'm so, like, I feel so proud of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, so so that's that's a bit of like our cultural reclamation. So uh, I got just a couple more questions about that. So one, stick and poke. What's, so that sounds like it could mean a lot of different things in my head. So what, what's, what's that look like? Um, it's, I, I don't really look at it. I think it's just yeah. like a needle and she, and then they have ink. Mm. Um, like you can see photos online of how they okay. do it, but yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like a machine yeah. or anything. It's very right. like, it's all by hand kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like okay. a hand poke or yeah. And, 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 and you may not know this and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, or the listeners can Google it, but is that something that goes back like a long time? Like, like generations, like did folks always do these kind of tattoos? Yeah, from what I've heard, yeah, it goes way, way back. It's been happening for like thousands of years. Um, as far as I know, anyways, maybe yeah. maybe I can also Google it a bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. yeah, but it, it's well. definitely it's definitely a, a pre-colonization action for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 right on. And then and then just you know, obviously I don't need you to give me write the whole book on it, but so Cree, Cree, is that the, I, I understand Cree is the language, right? Um, but yeah. And Cree is also like a first nation or a community. Like what's it, what's it sort of mean to be Cree, at least in your, to you anyway? Um. Oh man, that's a loaded question. I yeah. think, you know, for me, it's, it's where we're from, right? Mm. So we're all, we all are inherently tied to certain lands and yeah. like, ancestral territories and i think more where where we come from and there's different kinds of cree like there's woodland cree there's plains cree Mm, um 
for so long. I, I, I didn't know that though. Like for me growing up, all I heard was native right. um, or even Indian, right? Like in the eyes of the government, of that's course. what the term is yeah. legally. And, um, but I always just heard native growing up and, you know, ter- when it comes to terminology, like there's so much different terminology yep. and there's no like, there's not even a book that says which you're supposed to use. And there's no yep. like common consensus. Oh, whoops, sorry. There's like oh. no real common consensus on which to use, but um, yeah, no, I used to think I was just native and then mm. I started indigenous is more politically correct. Right. And then you know, Aboriginal. Um, but I thought I was Plains Cree for so long mm. when I start when I actually learned where I was from, but I, it turns out, and I, I found out a year ago that I'm actually Woodland Cree. Wow. Um, but I, that's on my mom's side. So I don't, I don't have connection with my, with my dad's side. Um, mm. Like back to that dysfunctional like family system that I have and yeah. brokenness. Um, I don't know much about my dad. So I know where they're from, but I haven't really like looked into it much. So I've really only connected with like my Cree side and right. those worldviews because there's like different worldviews for different, um, like different indigenous cultures. And so is, are the Woodland Cree kind of in your area or are they a different part of the of the world or do you know? I think they're... I'm still learning. Again, yeah, and again, I'll, I'll Google it too. I'm just curious. Yeah, it's I know, yeah, I know you're I, new on this journey, but yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, I think. Know. Yeah, because my family, my mom's side, we're from Fort Chipewyan, um, just like a few hours north of Fort McMurray. Okay. Um, smaller community. It's not a reserve, but there's a, like there's reserves there, yep. and um, like you have to, you hmm. can either fly wow. in, fly out. There's a winter road. Oh wow. Um, but I think it's just like that's kind of generally where. My gotcha. family's from, and they were woodland, and yeah, yeah I'm not too yeah. sure, but my family's yeah, no, straight. No, cool. And then, and then, uh, I think you mentioned kind of before we chatted a bit that that your your child was also two spirit. Um, yes. So, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, my so so Leo, you know, Leo. We talked before, like Leo, yeah. born boy, um, but has in the last. In the last year, not even a year yet, I don't think, um, last few months um, has really gone like into this like feeling of femininity and just feeling mm. like a girl, not not really resonating with like those male, you know, how you learn about male and female yep. and just like really doesn't lean into that because that's not how they feel. And so we really talk mm. about like how we feel and like how we can express and identify ourselves. There's different yeah. words we can use and yeah. Um, you know, tr- traditionally, um, it's been such a normal thing for, especially, and I'll talk about like Cree people, but it's been, um, it, it's inherently, we've had like these rights to like expression, how we want and self-determination mm. and autonomy. And, you know, there's no, there's no rigid uh, gender norms in, in indigenous like cultures. Well, for Cree people, I'll, spe- I'll be, I'll talk specifically for Cree people because that's what I know. And yeah. that's where my teachings have come from. But um, there, I learned about it in like the last few months, especially when I've been trying to help support my child mm. as we like grow and learn about this together. And, um, when I've been learning about two spirit people is that, you know, with indigenous people before colonization and before settlers came, um, we didn't have these gender, these strict gender norms or rigid, right. like, you know, the stereotypes we have now, you have yep. to be this or that. Yep. It was always based on our gifts and what, our, what was natural natural to us and you know if someone leaned towards the female roles that was great if they leaned towards the male roles that was great too but some would go to both 
Mm. And there's specific ceremonies they had to determine if someone was two spirit and it was celebrated. Mm. It was a very mm. beautiful thing and for ceremony yeah. and, you know, it was very special. Um, so for Leo, I feel like Leo has always just been so different and just like unique. And um, even before this started like coming out, she, she was just always like very herself and very mm. confident in it. And I really wanted to just like keep going with that, keep yeah. that momentum up and totally. not give her a chance to feel shame or embarrassed about it. Um, so when we went to our mm. cult, that culture camp in the summer, um, I told the elder after, after she got her name, I was like, yeah, you know, Leo was born a boy, but Leo feels like a girl. Like I've, I've taught Leo and talked a lot about pronouns and mm. gender identity, gender identity. And, um, so she has a strong understanding and even though she's not even six yet, she has yeah, a strong understanding. Wow. And I've given her that trust in, in who she know if she knows herself, right? I believe she knows herself and I know her. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the elder looked at her and was like, just said something in Cree, like a whole sentence or something. And I, and I was like, what does that mean? And all he said was two spirit, you know, and it's not a bad thing, not a bad mm. thing at all. Mm-hmm. And, he, and then he said, let's, let's get together sometime. And we'll talk about it more. And so still have yet to do that, but um mm. Yeah, so I'm, I've been teaching Leo about it, and I've I've been reading more about it too. And you know, it's also not like a thing that's set in stone. When it comes to two spiritedness, it can change. You can, you know, kids can grow out of it, kind of thing. Like it can be something that's now. Nothing is all, ever set in stone with yeah. with with people. Um, so that's the cool thing about it. But it's about honoring them now where they're at. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and and just turning six, that's, God, Leo's, mm-hmm. Leo's on it. Like, talk about yes. some great self-awareness. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. Right. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, kind of getting more into, uh, into kind of your work. So you're in a, in a Indigenous social worker bachelor's program. What, what, first of all, what, where, where, where are you doing that? And, uh, well, where are you doing that? I go to Yalehead Tribal College. Um, mm. It's a it's a smaller college in the city. Yeah. Um, I should know how to explain more about how, how how the college functions and like who what nations are are involved with running it. And yeah. but um, what I what I can say right now is that we are our program is a fully accredited social work program, mm. um, but we are entirely like indigenous focused. We do mm. cover like. We, we, we mostly go over like indigenous pedagogy and um, epistemology. I don't know if I'm saying that right. You are, <laughs> that's it. I think. Yep, yep. Um, and we do focus mostly on the indigenous stuff and like the roots of colonialism and mm. um, overcoming. And um, But we also do touch on like the mainstream side of things too mm-hmm. and really kind of dissect like the mainstream social work. Um, it's it's a lot more focused as well on healing and um, going back to culture, going back to our roots, and that's like the decolonization process. Um, so I mean, you know, social work in general has not the greatest reputation. Um, given you know when they started, it was in a time where the sixties scoop, scoop kind of began, and yes. kids were being taken away by the social workers. So yes. I hit, I I, I had some. Um, feedback when I started telling people I was going to social work because I didn't want to do policing anymore just because it was such a colonial institution that Mm. wouldn't allow me to help people the way I wanted to. Mm. Mm. Um, 
And so I, I did get like some backlash and they're like, you know, social work's not great either. And mm-hmm. I was like, you're right. And so that made me realize, you know, I need to look for something that's focused on indigenous people. Mm-hmm. That's transparent. Um, because I don't want to go the mainstream where it's kind yeah. of can still be hush hush or harder to learn. Yeah. So you're doing your your third year there, and um, and sort of and uh, and then you're you're a, you're part of this uh, this new association uh, of social workers, which is cool. And you're a VP, which is super awesome. Um, uh, what kind of stuff is happening there? Um, with the the association. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the Social Workers Association of Alberta or SWA. Um, so it's a newly formed voice. Uh, uh, association. We had to separate from the college. Um, there was a bill that went out a couple of years ago that said all like regulatory colleges, um, like the ACSW had to, mm. they had to stop all their association functions. And so they create, there's a small board that created a new, um, association. And the, the last year was just really them, um, you know, going over the logistics and establishing and, and going over like the foundations and, um, mm. getting the website ready, um, so we were voted in on the board and folks who are registered with the call, the, the college of social workers for Alberta would voted us in at their AGM meeting in September. Yeah. Um, so I applied in August and wasn't sure if I was going to get in. I applied like a day after the, the application thing closed. Mm. Um, but I did it anyways. And I didn't even really know what it, what it was about. Like I, I had, I had to really Google like what's an association yeah. Um, it's like, it's, it sounds fun. I like being part of things that are new and starting. I like yeah. being part of like the beginning processes of things like that. So took a chance. Um, mm. pretty much what we are is, um, we're, we're more of like a, so ACSW does like the, they regulate and govern, um, social work, yep. the profession, and that's where you get registered. Um, yep. the association, our role is more so to, to kind of promote the profession of social work, um, advocate or advocate for social workers and, mm. you know, advocate for things like social justice and, um, and, and as a, act as a support for social workers, act as a voice, mm. um, pretty much like, and we're going to be doing our strategic planning in a couple, in, in the next few weeks, maybe month or so. Um, so we're going to have like a little retreat, meet each other in person because we are kind of all over Alberta. Um, a few people in Calgary, some in Edmonton, and then some in other little places, mm. um, smaller towns. And yeah. so it'll be interesting. Like we're really going to be working on promoting our, like the, the social work sector and mm. how we can support social workers, how we can engage students. And um, there's a new code of ethics that like they, they, the, the college went through the code of ethics and kind of put out like a new one. They've, they've gone through that. And so we've, we're we're still determining what our code of ethics are going to be if we're adopting that one or, or what. So, th- we're still very much in those like establishing phases and figuring out where what where we're, we're going to go with this. We are mm. really committed though to you know decolonizing and reconciliation and, um. So I mean it is going to be like a cool association and it's it's optional. Whereas ACSW. Mm it's it's mandatory to register to be a social worker um if you want to work in those roles but we're our plan is to offer like learning opportunities workshops um networking opportunities uh resources and also like continuing education um mm. i think we also offer like the like insurance for social workers who need oh, yeah. it yep. um 
and yeah, a big, a big part in advocacy too. Like that's really, that's my passion is social activism and, and advocating. So, and also advocating for indigenous people and social workers. Um, so, I mean, I find myself often in these spaces where I'm trying to help promote indigenous, um, like learning or awareness and mm. promoting reconciliation and decolonization. Um, we're a pretty diverse board. It's really cool to see how many different perspectives and backgrounds mm. are in this board. Um, I think there's awesome. about, I think 13 of us on the board. Mm. Um, and it's neat. We all come from different backgrounds and, and experiences. Um, and bringing our perspectives together is going to be really neat. I, I'm really appreciate, appreciative of how open they they've they've all been to you know learning and engaging with decolonizing and um allowing me to share my perspectives and mm. ask the questions and like I'm a very open person I want I I like when people ask me questions especially yep. if it's genuinely for them to they want to learn right yep. um so I welcome questions and I, I want to share what I'm learning because I think what I'm learning at school has a lot of value um mm. And I just like, I can't hold on to this information just to myself. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's the association. Um, we're still, you know, learning as we go as well. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool to have the opportunity to be there right at the beginning. I mean, often, you know, I mean, you know, it's, uh, there's so many horrible policies, you know, everywhere that yeah. are, you know, that are there, you know, I mean, most of your, most of your role is going to be about advocating for policy change and, um, and, and so to be able to be in an organization where, you know, it's from, from the very, you, you don't have to sort of start, you don't have to sort of convince a bunch of folks to sort of switch their ways that they've been doing for 20 or 30 years. You're just, you get to start right. Right from the beginning and kind of come in there with that lens. And so, yeah, what a, what a, what a great opportunity. Really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Um, and again, I know, and, 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 and I know I've asked you a few questions that, that are, that, that are maybe things that folks could Google and I could Google this as well. Uh, do you have an idea sort of generally speaking, like are, are there, are there many indigenous social workers, at least in, at least in your association or. Um, as for membership, I think we're just under a thousand members so far in the association, yeah. which is cool because you have to pay and depending what you do, the fee, like the fee scale, like it varies. Um, mm. But I think our goal is really to mine, especially my goal, especially is to try and find ways to engage more indigenous social workers yeah. or indigenous social work students. Um, I know at the college, there's a lot less indigenous social workers that actually register. Mm. Um, and one thing that I found is because of like, you know, the code of ethics and can be, or it has been, and this is just feedback I've heard from a few others, but it can be almost restrictive to mm -hmm. our own cultural like values and yeah. how we can engage with our communities, especially if we're working in our own communities and, yeah. you know, we're working with people that we know or are related to. And these code of ethics have been, you know, they could be, um, I guess, interpreted in ways that limit how you can interact, um, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to like boundaries or, um, there's just like some relational pieces there that have had a lot. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, yeah. But the new code of ethics, I think like kind of highlights that a little better. I think it really comes down to that interpretation of the code mm. of, and understanding of what it means to actually, you know, 
recognize and include indigenous perspectives and values and allow indigenous mm-hmm. people to work in their inherent and traditional ways. Um, obviously to an extent, like boundaries are still important too, but yeah, they're, they're, we found like, it, it's, I think it'll be a challenge to make ourselves, to position ourselves in a way that will, I guess, have indigenous people trust us, right? Cause I know a lot of people haven't had a whole lot of trust in the ACSW for various reasons, um, hmm. particularly indigenous people. And then there's like yeah. the high costs. And if you're in an indigenous community, you might hmm. not have like the funds or the technology to, you know, register online and everything. Mm-hmm. There's certain barriers, I think. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to be, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about it a lot more though. And there's going to be more. a lot of advocacy for sort of for those social workers themselves is, is kind of a lot of what you'll be doing. Yeah, yeah right. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Right on. So, uh, tell me a bit about Tawau. So, is that am I saying that right? First off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, what, what what does that mean? Why is it called that? Um. So, Tawau is a Cree word. Translates. Mm. It literally translates to like welcome, like mm. you know, like a welcome sign kind of thing. Like you're welcome nice. here. Um. Cree people are inherently like very hospitable people, very um, inclusive and and kind and welcoming and willing to share space. And mm. um, so for us, but for Bryce and I, I'm a co-founder. Mm. Um, when we started doing street outreach after we worked in the shelter, you know, folk, when we were in the shelter, folks had a place to come to us. They could come where we were and we could meet them where they're at when they came to us. But then we no longer had a shelter and everyone was dispersed into the community, living, you know, in encampments, out mm. in the streets, living rough. Um, and with society and the way, you know, society views like homelessness and mm. criminalizes homelessness and um, encampment sweeps and decampments, you know, people are often pushed here and there and told mm. you can't be here, can't be there. So that's like where, but with Tawau, you know, our idea is that because it means like you're welcome, there is space because there is space, mm-hmm. um, there's space for everybody. And so for us, wherever you find us, you know, we're a welcoming space, you're safe with us kind of thing. And mm. um, so we chose to wow and then outreach um, and then collective because mm. with like indigenous worldviews, it's really based on that collectivity, um, like a collective identity and ways of being. And, and, yeah. and um, yeah, so that's kind of where that came from. Uh, really cool. And uh, I have some familiarity with harm reduction. I, you know, I work as a or not work. I volunteer as a first responder on the side, um, uh, as a firefighter and whatnot. And so I've been involved in some of this stuff. And 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 and, and then I'm a bit connected. I'm, I'm in a small town, so I'm somewhat connected to a, a lot of things around town. And I'm familiar with sort of you know maybe what a traditional kind of harm reduction approach might look like. Uh, you know, so I've seen things like you know obviously naloxone is a big one, um, and naloxone training and offering those kits. I know there's you know obviously. Uh, you know, things like supply, uh, you know, drug use supplies that are safe, um, uh, things like, you know, I know, I, I know I've heard, been hearing a lot about sort of, you know, drug testing now, which is great, um, you know, because so, right. so much, some of the drugs are, are you know, you know the, the drug sort of supplies are poisoned quite often. And so having those testing things in place and as well as, you know, um, at least in British Columbia, I know we have, you know, some of these sort of safe injection sites and things like that and sort of places where folks can essentially, you know, um, um, you know, uh, engage engage in in, in the use, um, you know, in in a safe kind of way, because it's not 
often it's not the sort of the drugs themselves that are killing people. It's how the drugs are are, are tainted or poisoned and whatnot. Yeah. Um, exactly. or, or or the or the or the you know the dirty needles and things like that and, and so on and so forth. So I'm familiar with kind of all that. What what sort of um beyond that, what 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 are sort of some of the things that you do that are kind of you know, in, I guess, indigenizing harm reduction, like how is it different? Yeah, yeah. So exactly what you said about like mainstream harm reduction, it's, you know, and like the, the idea of meeting people where they're at, taking steps to reduce harm. Um, mm. I find with mainstream harm reduction too, it can be, if you're not careful with it, it can be a little bit exclusive of like indigenous people. Um, it's one of those things where I try to explain by, by explaining like, um, typically we don't want like you know because indigenous people have been kind of segregated in society in many ways mm. um very excluded culturally like you know er the the policies that have aimed to um erase culture and erase you know like the history mm. and um downplay history so i feel that mainstream harm reduction if you're not careful with it and you don't segregate the indigenous issues from mainstream issues right mm. um you really have to understand what it is that got indigenous people into these places. Like when it comes to addiction or mental health right. trauma, um, it's one thing to meet them where they're at and to address them in ways that, um, you know, will help influence their, their current experience or what they're going through. But if we want to really truly delve into harm reduction, we have to be, a little bit more deliberate when we, you know, address these issues by going mm. to the roots of the problem. Mm. Um, cause all these things are symptoms and there's a root to these symptoms. Right. right? And, it's, and it's going to be a lot different for indigenous people spe specifically, um, especially in Canada or, mm. you know, across Turtle Island. And, um, it's going to be a diff it's, I think it's a unique approach that we need to take with indigenous people. Um, a lot of, Indigenous people, myself included, have been disconnected or taught from education systems that didn't tell us the truth about ourselves. Yep. So a lot of us have that harm there alone. And if we're not doing the learning and the unlearning, um, we can easily contribute to the harm, the harmful cycles and keep contributing to the, the ongoing um, cycles of trauma. Hmm. Um, so when it comes to Indigenous harm reduction, I've really learned like the biggest thing is going beyond meeting people where they're at and learning about how, what got them to where they're at. Mm. Um, so looking at what, how people got there. Cause if we don't understand colonialism, we won't understand how indigenous people got to this place. Mm. Um, and then with indigenous harm reduction, it's really, you know, the, the process of going back to culture, going back to ceremonies, learning about our roots the best we can. And there's a lot of people who don't know where they come from, you know, when mm. it comes to, 62 especially residential schools and the foster care system child welfare a lot of people are very disconnected from their 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 home like roots mm. they're they may have those broken ties and not able to learn about themselves and so yeah. even just being able to find a community and finding those worldviews that align with yourself you know still can bring people back to a place of culture Mm. And it doesn't have to be exactly where you're from, right. but learning about ourselves in that way and bringing our, you know, no longer struggling with a cultural, um, like identity crisis or disconnect. Um, but we have to give those, we have to give those opportunities. And like with, with, uh, with Tawau, sorry, um, Bryce and I 
like when we do outreach, we'll bring stage um, so we can offer indigenous people like time to smudge or we'll, we um, have been doing, it's been a slow process to get this little project um, Mm. actually like implemented, but we've had this idea for a while and we've started it. It just takes time and we've been so busy, but we Mm. have used empty naloxone kits and we fill it with like some, some of the four medicines. So sage, sweet grass, cedar and tobacco Mm. and we roll them in when we give out harm reduction supplies like safe drug use supplies um some of the stuff we have is like um tinfoil that's safe to smoke from um so we'll roll it in that so that it's safe to burn the medicine on if that's what they're Mm. doing with it Mm. um we'll put things like matches and um our idea is to put like, you know, info on what the medicines mean and where they can go find cultural support. and it's when we've done it, like when we've brought sage and stuff and we recognize because we're seeing people who are indigenous, especially unhoused people, often yep. they feel unseen and and often mm. they realize like they've experienced racism so much and um, discrimination. And so being able to recognize them in their culture, I've like mm. it can really open that door to truly relate with them and find that connection, mm. um, which can really help people in their in their in their moments. And um, so with Indigenous harm reduction, it's also undoing those colonial harms. Um, mm. So Bryce and I really try to advocate and do a lot of work with these policies and networking with other organizations and activists and, you know, addressing colonial policies and mm. um, addressing oppression. And um, but yeah, I think to me, that's really what Indigenous harm, harm reduction is. Mm. Mm. That's super cool. So I'm sort of imagining, you know, um, certainly the, you know, the the medicines and the kits. I think that's super cool, um, and getting to these folks. And so, uh, have, what effect have you seen? I mean, I, it's it sounds like I mean, the attention here is basically. I mean, this really comes down to you know, building some trust and relationships with folks, so that maybe you can, you know, get them access to more services, housing, whatever. Um, but before they do that, they need to trust the people that are working with them and colonialism kind of has, you know, put a, mm-hmm. put, a put a big wrench in that sort of idea. Um, because like you said, social workers historically were there to remove them from their homes and were there to remove them from their communities and put them in, you know, sketchy places and so on and so forth. So a lot of it is, you know, connection. So what, what, what kinds of sort of, what have what has been the effect so far, or, or like maybe some some examples? Obviously, not naming folks um, about what 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 that what what you've seen that do for folks. Um, I think the biggest thing, and like I can even speak from experience myself, but like just mm. that 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 space of safety, you know, cultural safety, and not yeah. feeling like you have to hide yourself or yeah. be a certain way. Um, but it's very affirming too. And when we can recognize, when we can um, empathize with somebody or give them the validation that, you know, usually most of us learned that indigenous people are just inherently bad and we're just yeah. like set up for failure. And yeah. that's just like what our past. But when we can say to somebody, you know, you're not in this space because you're inherently bad, you're in this space because of the government. And so really acknowledging that it's the mm-hmm. systems that have been in place that got people mm. to be so marginalized and oppressed to a point of, you know, living on the streets or yeah. struggling with incarceration and um, struggling to maintain like a functional family system or, mm. you know, and so being able to give back 
give people back a sense of power and um, less shame. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing is indigenous people carry so much shame. And, mm. and I mean, these colonial policies as well, like they don't only impact indigenous people, they, they impact everybody. Yep. Um, but they do mostly benefit not like white people. Right. And I know mm-hmm. I've had a lot of people who have been on my, on my case sometimes when I say the word white people, but, mm, no, um, yeah. but it's very true. And like, you have yep. to acknowledge that and, and sit through the discomfort that's yeah. going to bring. Um, because it can also bring shame when you're learning about these policies and these yeah. things that, you know, have benefited a white person. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's just really bringing people back to, you know, trying to understand the roots and understand what got them there is beyond just themselves. Yeah. And I know, I know, I know that ceremony and, and whatnot, you know, are very kind of sacred and often, you know, private events that you know um, um, folks like myself you know generally speaking wouldn't experience or see because because they're sacred um does just the use of the medicines sort of fall into that is that sort of part of ceremony too or, or are there other things that you're you're out getting these folks into so they can sort of connect with culture um you know medicine's the one thing it's, it's mostly just the one thing we have access to mm. um and not everyone wants it. And then, yeah. you know, there's different teachings. And mm. one of the main teachings is that, like, that yeah, you might hear is that you have to be abstinent or sober when you're, like, smudging or when you're using the medicine or accessing ceremony. And that can, mm. that's very much, and that really, and this is my my belief, is that yeah. that perspective stems from colonialism. Yeah. You know, Give taking away access to ceremony and take away access to culture unless you are this way. Mm. Um, it's also not allowing people to engage in their culture or they just feel shame and a lot mm. of people won't do it. And then they're, they're losing out on that, that cultural connection. And there's a lot of healing that could come from ceremonies. Mm. I have chosen, you know, my, my, it's my firm belief that indigenous harm reduction um, acknowledges the colonial influences that got indigenous people to this place with substances Mm. um, and addiction. And, you know, we have to understand that substance use also has been going on pre-colonial. Like there's been so many practices within Mm -hmm. indigenous nation where they've like, they've, they've engaged in mind altering substances, usually, you know, like natural things, right? Like it was plants and, and medicines and, but we've always done it. We've always engaged in um like practices of altering our perspectives and our perception and our minds um so ostracizing people who use substances Mm -hmm. is such a colonial tool and a way to you know divide people Mm -hmm. and condemn and um control and it's like a very systemic way to oppress um so i think it's very like i i really promote um the idea that like a friend of mine um, I think she made stickers or something, or she has a sign too. And it says, um, creator still loves you, even if you use drugs. Right. And so trying to build people's, um, mm. ability to see themselves in a better light, even if they use substances. Mm. Um, and then mm. I try to tell people, cause I'll have some people when I'm doing outreach and they say, Oh, I, I, I don't want to smudge. I just drank, um, or I just used something. And I say, and we'll try and, you know, have a conversation with them if they're, if they're 
willing to and will say like, you know, I believe you can still, and I've talked to elders too, who have the mm. same belief. You'll find a lot of very different perspectives. Mm. Um, and then you have to also recognize a lot of elders have a lot of trauma and colonial influence. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be various perspectives and ideas on this, but um, I try and get my information from elders who I trust, who believe in harm reduction and who believe people can still engage in ceremony and smudging, even if they're, they're, they're high on something or mm. um, if they've used or drank because it's a colonial tool to um, keep someone from practicing culture or culture. Mm. 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 Really cool. Okay, uh, I think maybe now I wouldn't mind getting into, if you're up for it, um, kind of um, some of the more present day stuff. So uh, it's uh, January 11th today. It's freezing mm -hmm. everywhere across uh, sort of the northern half of Turtle Island here. Um, uh, you know, certainly in my neck of the woods, which is usually... Yeah, quite tropical in, in on the on the west coast um is is dropping down to kind of minus 16, 17. I saw the weather forecast for Edmonton this morning and I think it said minus 40. Um and I've seen some higher temperatures as well. So it's 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 pretty cold in, in Edmonton right now and there's some some kind of stuff happening now. And you have a you have a, a great uh, to uh, Tawa has a great uh, Instagram account that, that you're running. And uh, really, in, in a lot of ways, you're you're documenting kind of a lot of what's happening right now in, in Edmonton and um, um, in a way that I, I imagine other folks aren't. Um, um, and, and it sounds like there's you know, kind of a lot of intense stuff going on. And you've been posting a lot sort of over the last uh, few weeks anyway, and, and, and sort of in December as well, about the sweeps. So t tell me what's happening in Edmonton right now and then what kind of work you're doing to sort of, uh, uh, you know, to, to try to help. Yeah. Um, so pretty much what's happening right now is, you know, there's been, and it's, it's not something that's just started, but this has been mm -hmm. happening for years. Yeah. Um, I mean, in Edmonton alone, for 2023 alone, it, I think it was just under $3 million where the city puts this money into um cleaning, clearing up encampments, just mm. basically destroying encampments. Um, they have city, um, like they have city workers and also Edmonton police who go in and basically there's like this, this, um, list of criteria and guidelines for what, um, needs to be like looked at before they can clear an encampment. And it's called the matrix. Okay. Um, and mm. so if they deem, an encampment high risk and there's different criteria that will that will uh deem something high risk or not um then they'll 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 take the encampment structures that are going to be cleared mm. um usually in the past they would do it and it would usually be unannounced um sometimes they would contact social services usually if it's a bigger encampment but sometimes they wouldn't sometimes they would just go in and clear an encampment out and at this time, there wasn't much public awareness of it. There wasn't much. Sometimes you just happened to come across seeing it while you're on outreach or you're out and about. Wow. Um, but usually it was very just like a hush. It was just like a very normalized process that mm -hmm, they did. Mm -hmm, it wasn't like, adver like promote. It wasn't advertised or anything or talked about. Um, it wasn't until summer that um, there's a lawsuit against the city of Edmonton for the unethical removal of encampments, especially given there's not enough shelter spaces. So it recognizes that 
um, these displacements violate the the Charter of Rights and Freedoms mm. and, you know, just the the fundamental human rights of, of people, of Edmonton people. And I mean, it happens there every city. It's like, yep. like it's like one of those like things that is, is ongoing everywhere, but there's just like unique differences to each one. But mm-hmm. for Edmonton, um, I mean, most of our unhoused population, like it's nearly 60% that's, un- that's indigenous. Um, wow. And indigenous people only account for like around 6% of everyone in Edmonton. Um, so wow. it's mostly impacting indigenous people, like just mm. disproportionately impacting indigenous people. Um, but yeah, so these displacements have been ongoing, but what happened was like, there's that, the lawsuit that happened in the end of August, mm. um, there's a couple of court hearings, you know, but we have a society here in Edmonton that's very pro-police and mm. very individualistic. And then our government yeah. in Alberta, you know, UCP, um, just overall very individualistic, mm. not, mm-hmm. not about mm-hmm. collective or community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so cr- th- there's this big thing of like criminalizing homelessness here. And, mm. but it's just, yeah, there's not enough shelters. There's not enough spaces. Um, so we have encampments and it's just like, you know, again, it's another symptom to larger issues. Um, but there's very poor funding in Edmonton for shelters. Um, mm. In Calgary, they actually get more funding than we do. And our unhoused population is a lot worse than over there even. Wow. Um, and then, you know, just like the housing crisis and there's not enough supports. There's not enough supportive housing, not enough shelters. Um, most of the shelters that people want to go to have wait lists. Mm. Um, the main shelter we have that is like funded by the province permanently is the Hope Mission and it's Christian based, very mm. absent and very, very restrictive, not culturally safe, not trauma informed and no practice of harm reduction. So mm. there can, there, the, the state of that shelter, the conditions in that shelter are very unsafe and people mm. don't feel safe there. And I've, I've seen it, I've seen staff there and, um, like for instance, staff there are trained to be hands-on with communities. They have security, but the staff are trained to also restrain people. And wow. it's just, it's not trauma-informed, right? And I've seen some very violent interactions. And mm. just in general, when some when when people don't feel safe, they're more likely to go into like cycles of trauma and being triggered and like re-traumatization happens. Yeah. And um, but there's a lot of like the police in our city are very brutal towards the unhoused community. And these encampment soups have been very unethical in how they do the process. And they've been Mm -hmm. very violent and they basically will take everyone's belongings and toss them in a dump, like a garbage, a garbage truck right in front of people. And then they crush it in front of people. It'll be perfectly good tents. Yeah. And it'll be perfectly good tents. Um, The city cleanup crew is like usually around 10 to 14 people in white hazmat suits. Um, and then Ugh. the police will be there supervising. And there's usually mm-hmm. like, there could be up to 14 cops um, just standing around. Not many of them. I've seen some of them helping to help community community members to like pack some stuff up, but usually they stand around watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very like inhumane approach. It's very, it's very um, like degrading and dehumanizing. And then, how it's happened before fall, before there there was this this attention coming to it with this lawsuit. This lawsuit mm. really, you know, opened this like path to awareness and, mm. and people becoming more aware increasingly about it. But um, before the lawsuit, like it was a lot worse and a lot more 
covered. Um, mm. And so they were a lot more violent with it. Like I've, I've heard of encampments being swept at like 4.30 in the morning and it's dr- pouring rain. And for the most part, police aren't, aren't giving resources. They say they do, but nine times out of the 10, they don't. They just mm. say, you know, you can't be here, go somewhere else. Mm. Um, I've heard a lot of unhoused people in encampments say that they've been threatened, you know, not given resources, but told if you don't, if you don't live here, leave here, you're going to jail. Mm. Um, so it's very coercive and manipulate, manipulative. Um, in the last few weeks, things have really taken um, like a big sore. Um, so what happened just before Christmas, Edmonton police put out this statement or this notice that they were going to do a mass encampment sweep within five days the week before Christmas, and they planned to take down 100, up to 150 structures, um, and they would have been doing it within five days. And so the last time they did such a mass encampment um, de- um, displacement was in the month of May 2023, and they did around 120 in a whole month. So oh to gosh. go from like such a big jump, like that's five mm-hmm. days, that's more than what they did in May. Mm-hmm. So it's like it, the worst part of the letter that they put out was that they didn't want witnesses. They didn't want any media. They didn't want any social services on site while they did it. Um, mm. So the coalition, the coalition, wow. which is, uh, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. So the coalition of justice and human rights, they are an advocacy organization um, advocating for human rights, right. And, mm. and justice. And so they are the ones doing the lawsuit and they have lawyer, a lawyer team with them. And they're they're amazing. They're an amazing organization. They're nonprofit, and mm. the lawyers are working pro bono. Um, but they just are passionate people who care about the community and the, the poor treatment um, of the and these displacements. So they immediately acted on it and put in an emergency like court um, to go to court. So they had an emergency injunction a couple mm. days after the police put out the statement and. Yeah. Um, with Tawau, I, I've been, we've been like networking with other organizations. So um, there's this advocacy organization in Edmonton called Public Interest Alberta and mm. their executive director, Bradley, and I were like, hey, like, let's take an, let's do an action here. Let's get people involved. Let's be, let's do something to raise more awareness about this. So we mm. put on a, a rally um, the morning of the court, the emergency court injunction. Mm. Um, so we put on this rally and it was actually a really great show of like support and people. We had around a hundred people show up and that was a Monday morning um, with like barely two days notice. So a lot of people were very outraged. And so we had this mm. rally, we had some speakers, we, we had just like, we had some mu- people playing music and it was, we had elders and um, my, my friend D did a opening song, like a, a, a Cree or no, I think it was a, some song, some uh, indigenous, a really cool indigenous healing song. And cool. so we we were able to get some traction and help get awareness. So people were getting on the same page. Um, but things really started picking up after when you know the injunction said um, they weren't going to stop the sweeps. Ultimately, our, our goal was stop the sweeps, at least until the next hearing, which was already set for yesterday and today. Mm-hmm. Um, so the police yesterday... And the coalition had their court um, process, like the injunction. And this was planned, I think, in November. So it's a very slow process with our mm. court system, mm. our justice system. It takes a long time. But they have been in court for the last two days. Um, 
However, the sweeps already started last week. The last one happened yesterday and it was the most violent one and the most emotional one um, and symbolic and just in so many ways. But Mm. um, yeah, people just like have really been um, much more aware about these issues now and outraged because why would the police and city do this? So the police have put put out this plan to do this mass um, decampment without any any collaboration with like social service agencies, which yeah. in the past they would, they would they would consult with like social services and to try and have supports on site. But this time they didn't. This time they just did it on their own. Even this, and it's just very weird messaging. Like the city yeah. said, we didn't. Our mayor here said he didn't know, but then city council. Some people say they didn't know, but at the same time the city had to sign off on it. Right. right? So it's very, it's all over the place. It's messy. And I feel like the police have just been very disorganized with it and Mm. not in their favor at all. Like they've really done it to themselves that they're now very very much in the spotlight. Mm. Um, A lot of people are talking about it, which is great. Mm. And like to wow and other organizations. So we've been raising money and um, like, we're big with the advocacy piece and trying to raise awareness and make sure Mm -hmm. information put out there is credible um, and that's the biggest thing. Like being a social work student has its perks that way. Like I know mm. how to make sure I know how to fact check. I know how to make sure the information I have is is evidence based, right. well researched. And um, so we've been trying to keep up and put information out, working with other groups and trying to, you know, do actions. Um, it's a coll- collective effort, really. Like mm. we, I couldn't do it on my own. Tawau couldn't do it on our own. But so many people have grouped together. We've raised just under twenty grand in wow. not even not even a week, and wow. just so many people donating and caring about the community. And um, yeah, like so. So yeah, there was eight sweeps planned for that week. Um, right now, there's seven hundred and fifty encampments in Edmonton that are um, that are deemed high risk. So those are going to, you know, ultimately be torn down at some point. They're going to get to those. That's the police's strategy for dealing with houselessness. And mm. um, like the, the fact is we don't have enough shelter spaces and it's cold. Mm. Like this is the coldest week we've had this winter. It's mm-hmm. been a pretty mild winter so far. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's supposed to reach like wind chills of, um, it's, it's like up to minus 50. Like there's a yeah. lot of warnings now. And so yesterday, the fact that they did, the last decampment despite mm. you know it was an indigenous only encampment um not even 10 or 12 people there very clean site given the fact that you know i mean it's untidy Unca- encampments aren't mm. like the cleanest spaces you accumulate stuff and you, there's no way to make it look pretty but it, they were they were respectful they always engaged in ceremony they had very a lot of respect and even support from residents in the area like when when the mm. when the decampment happened yesterday, um, residents from the apartments nearby were out there, outraged, saying, wow. "Let them stay. Like we, yeah. there's, there's no big issues. Um, encampments are, you know, they are unsafe. There's there's unsafe things that happen in encampments. We mm-hmm. can't deny that. Um, but unsafe things happen everywhere. They happen in shelters. Exactly. They happen in the prison. They happen yeah, in, in people's homes. apartments yeah, yeah. and in homes. But <laughs> we're not. They're not evicting entire apartments just because mm-hmm. something happened in one That's section, right? right? Yeah. So why why do we do this with with encampments? Um, mm. My my argument lately has been, especially because Danielle Smith has just been tweeting about this all like all over Twitter and and her and our chief of the Edmonton Police Chief 
McPhee are mm. just very hand in hand, um, very anti harm reduction as well. And like my my big argument is, you know, you can't even keep um, harm out of the prisons, and those mm. are supervised twenty four seven. So maybe the focus shouldn't maybe maybe encampments aren't the issue, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, You're not evicting the prisons, yeah. so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm. Mm. Wow. So, well, so you've raised almost twenty grand. What, where, where's that money going? What are you doing? What are you, what are you doing with the, the the funds and the donations? Oh man, yeah, it's been a lot, and it's been you know very overwhelming, but incredible. But um, I wasn't expecting that at all. Like we before before this, we weren't we weren't raising very much money. A lot of things were being paid out of pocket by me. Mm. Um things to get pricey at times and but just doing what I could when I could mm-hmm. and so to have this like support yeah it's been it's been a lot um but it's been really cool to see and our plan like I was I put a, co- a donation call out mm-hmm. um so that we could start buying tents for people because the police mm-hmm. in the city don't replace what they throw out mm-hmm. and they could be throwing out perfectly good items yeah. um it's not just the garbage right and so we put a call out and specifying for tents but we've also been getting so many physical donations of like tents winter clothing camping gear um food hygiene products we've been getting so much that we haven't even had to touch the money yet um Mm. but we do plan to you know share where and when we can um there's a few of us who are who are like working on this finance stuff so that we can track it um and make sure you know, we're not spending, we're not to make sure that we can make it like to make it last. Right. Um, as long as we can, but also making sure that the things we buy with it, um, are things that the community needs. So we want to meet the needs. Mm. Um, right now we've had, we've had so many donations that like we haven't had to touch the money at all yet, but, um, we do plan to like share resources as a collective. We, we want to help other organizations and Mm. share the resources, um, and make sure that because we're all working with the same community. We all have the mm-hmm. same goals to help and support. And um, so not totally sure yet, but like, you know, we'll, whatever comes, we'll find ways to take these funds, um, make sure that they're going back to community. And like, it's not, it's not going to cover our own personal expenses. Like I don't use donations for gas. I don't use it for like, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. me, it's, it's literally just for the community when we need to buy stuff. Um mm. We'll probably also donate some to the law, the lawsuit, like the, those fees there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've been partnering with the the coalition and working together to support, and so especially with because there was some arrests made yesterday, and so mm. we'll probably see how we can, you know, share our funds if it if it comes to that point. Um, because they're they're going to be representing some of the people who are arrested and, mm. um. But yeah, so that that's pretty much that's our plan. <laughs> Things will change as they go and we'll we'll work with it. But um, but yeah, it's been really cool. Neat, 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 neat. And if if uh if folks wanted to help out in some way, how how could they go about doing that? Um, so yeah, so we have volunteers and like when we do outreach, we're going to try I, I've been very busy lately and just like trying mm. to get schedules for getting out doing street outreach has been difficult the last little mm. bit, but a lot of us are working hard to get it happening so that we can, um, you know, get some boots on the grounds and start mm. getting supplies out there. But, um, you know, ultimately if people want to volunteer, they, they can volunteer with our 
our organization in different ways. If mm. they can't physically do outreach for, you know, if they have like mobility issues or health issues or, or whatnot, um, you know, there's going to, there, we have ways people could still help. Like if they want to put, like I could drop off harm reduction supplies and they could put together kits or I can mm. drop off donations and they could put together, you know, like care packages. Mm. Mm. Um, or also now we have so many donations and a couple different storage storage areas. So we have some people who have volunteered and reached out mm. um, offering to come and, and donate these donations and mm. organize. Um, but also, you know, a big way to support too is just sharing our posts and, and get, interacting with our posts. And um, yeah. And so if people wanted to donate funds, is there a way to do that? Yeah, we have e-transfer set up. Um, mm. So it's our it's our, our full name, Twow Outreach Collective at gmail.com. Okay. Um, we have e-transfer or we also ask for like if people want to donate um, gift cards. So mm. especially gift cards for places like 24-hour 24 places like McDonald's yes. or Hortons, where people can go in the middle of the night, warm up, get something hot. Right. That goes along with me. Or, you know, donations like bus tickets, bus passes, um, yeah. cigarettes. Cigarettes yeah, are yeah. great. Um, I suppose yeah. just just being able to buy a coffee means you can go sit in a warm place for that period of time and drink that coffee, whereas yeah. Tim Hortons doesn't want you just sitting in there without buying something. So, yeah, exactly, so that, that can totally totally make a deal. And then, so as far as social media, so t- what are, what are some of the ways folks can find you? Um, we're mostly active on Instagram. Okay. Um, all of our posts do go to a twelve-hour Facebook page, but no one. No one moderates the Facebook page. Mm. Um, that might change. I'm going to ask a couple of people if they would be willing to do it. I just don't have capacity. But yeah, um, yeah mostly Instagram. And then we have our website as well, which mm. like website's a work in progress. I got it updated a little bit, but yeah. that's there and it has information. Um, but yeah, mostly Instagram. Nice, nice. So, I mean, th- this weather is going to be like, is, is this a cold spell or is this now the rest of the winter? No, this is a, it's a cold spell. Yeah. We're in, the, we're currently in cold weather protocol. Um, so for the next four days, I think, mm. uh, cold weather protocol started a few days ago, which is like another reason why there's so much outcry about yesterday's decampment right. and, um, timing, yeah. yeah. Cause they're not supposed to take down encampments during cold weather. Right. They did they yeah. say in a statement with cold weather protocol, um, because they're not supposed to take down encampments in minus 20 or colder. Mm. Um, but they have in the statement saying, unless it's, there's, unless there's imminent risk. Um, so they've declared this encampment high risk. And so even yesterday during the sweep, you know, we're, we're asking the officers, like, what is the imminent risk of this encampment? Because there's mm. none, there's no weapons there. There's no, nothing, there's no foul play. Like, you know, bad things might happen here and there but they were still very respectful of the space and the land because they're indigenous. Right. Um, and they very much practice those traditional like protocols and mm. ceremonies and respect. Mm. Um, and so many people have gone there and sat with them. And so for them to dismantle their, their belongings and throw out their belongings in such cold weather, like during the encampment sweep yesterday, it was very violent. And I witnessed mm-hmm. a lot that I wish I didn't, but like mm. that's the reality. And like, I, I have witnessed this stuff before I, I was pursuing this, that field. Um, but it was just a lot different because it, I felt so culturally safe in that space. I was mm. there by myself. Like usually I'd have other 
volunteers with me. There was other volunteers, but no one I knew personally. I was just people that I was just meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt so safe. You know, we were sitting there around a fire. There's kids around. Someone showed up with their puppy. It was very just like good vibes. Um, and as soon as the police started rolling up, I felt so unsafe. I felt mm. panicked and I just like very, very scared. And I was like, something's going to go down. Yesterday, they didn't contact social services, which in the agree- the injunction um, agreement that they had to, like that was mm. one of the things they do. And so they're already like breaking all these rules as mm. they do. It's, it's very common that they do this um, and just do the practice how they want to. But um but yeah, so I don't even remember what your question was, but yeah, no, no, I, I think um, just just we're just sort of talking about kind of um, um, you know, I don't remember what my question is either. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is this is this, this is our ADHD coming together. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, what sort of? Uh, I mean, obviously, this is uh, you know, uh, right now you're just you're dealing with a crisis and. And 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 kind of that's kind of the nature of your work, though, is kind of dealing with crises. You may just be dealing with crises for the rest of your career, um, because yeah. it's sort of part 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 of the job. But what are what are once um, you know kind of you know things start to warm up and hopefully you know get some headway with some of these legal proceedings? What's uh, sort of some of the future plans for you and for Talaga? I mean, you're you're you probably got another year or so left for school, and and uh, so what what are some of the future goals for you? Yeah. Um, so things always change as we go and it's been yeah. really cool to see how, you know, how things have progressed. Like I never thought we'd be doing the things we've been doing and in, in such a large scale, like actually meeting with like other organizations the way we have and being part mm. of these processes and having them come to us for support, you know, having, mm. having that, like that, those connections and being yeah. seen as, as credible. And That's so awesome. that means a lot. Um, we do have goals to, um, so we do a lot of education as well. Like mm. we've done naloxone training. Um, Bryce and I do indigenous harm reduction training and, mm. and awareness training, cool. um, or like cultural sensitivity. So I think we're kind of also going that path of education and maybe yeah. even like eventually, I think we'll have goals of doing like contract work where we with we have like a new education team a little bit now like mm. um we've partnered with a couple of folks um trish and daystar and they're just like they're both very knowledgeable in harm reduction and indigenous harm reduction and culture mm. um and so we have goals to eventually get, like do programming some sorts of programming for indigenous people yeah um spaces where indigenous people can come as they are and we can engage in culture or just mm. just be right a safe space mm. um so i think that's going to be a, a route that we're going down is like education but also um providing like spaces for indigenous people who are unhoused or part of these communities that can um mm. that can come and and be as they are and and yeah mm. Mm. super awesome wow wow i'm impressed uh, I, I love the work you're doing and uh you know i think uh yeah i can't wait to see what comes next um Really cool. Really cool. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really neat. Yeah, of course. Yeah, right on. No, I'm happy to be here. Cool.